All right, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see you all here today. Isn't that the best way to end and begin the new year? Gathering together as a church, worshiping like that? Praise God for that. Isn't it great to have the kids in here, too? All right, I don't hear a lot of yeses and amens on that, but that's okay. We'll see how this goes, right? All right, we'll turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 as we begin. And uh, as you're looking for Nehemiah chapter 1 there in your Bibles, I want to begin with a quote from a pa- uh, pastor that we all know quite well. I'm sure we've heard of him before. His name's John Piper. And it's just a, a quick quote that I saw in a short video clip. Here's the quote. It'll come on the screen for you. Christians do not pray enough. Okay, it's not too hard to understand. It's not much of a quote, but there's much said in those few words. And unfortunately, it is true. The lack of prayer in each believer's life is concerning. You might even say that it's an enormous problem. The word enormous has a negative connotation to it, certainly depicting the size of what you're referring to, but also that there's some sort of negativity about it as well. And it's not a good thing that we don't pray enough. It's, it's not very positive. I wonder, why don't we pray more? What's the reason for this, this wall, this struggle that we have as, as Christians uh, that we, we struggle so much in talking to and praying to God? All right, I have another quote from you from John Piper as well. This one's a little longer. But here's why unremitting or persistent prayer is so problematic for all of us. Prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God. Those are all underlined for a reason there. Think about those things. Turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. So here's the issue. Prayer humbles us. It lowers us. It tells us and openly confirms that we are needy, poor, and destitute. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you like to be told that you're needy? My hand's not up, sorry. (laughs) No one likes to hear that. No one wants to be told that they're needy, and we don't want to hear it over and over again either, because our propensity, which is our natural sinful inclination, is one of pride. Because of this, we give so little time to God, who is wealthy. Wealthy not only in means or riches, but in his all-encompassing, miraculous, and matchless power. Approaching God in prayer is what we find Nehemiah doing here, Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to read that. We're just going to read verses 1 through 4 as we start off, and we'll get through the rest of the chapter as we keep going. But Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down 
and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Notice the immediacy, the urgency, the persistency of Nehemiah. Someone once said, don't pray when it rains if you won't pray when it shines. And I don't quite get that that's the vibe here from Nehemiah. The Bible tells us that he continued to pray. And so really he picked back up where he was already at. But it is raining in his heart. The update that he received was of such a great, um, it, it was so big for him that, that he had to sit down really to, to kind of think through it all and wept through it. The fact is that as he examines the situation of God's people and the holy city, his heart is pouring in tears. And so he approached God in heartfelt worship and supplication. And we're going to look at that as we move through the message. Now, we do have the kids in the service here this morning, and I know you're all wondering what is in the bag, all right? So I'm going to show you now. Before that, I'm going to ask someone to come help me. So Maxwell is going to come up, and he's going to help me. This is my son, Maxwell. He was very excited to come and help me this morning. Doesn't he look good? Look at this kid. He, uh, he did his hair himself this morning, which means he didn't do anything. So... <laughs> So Maxwell's got come, why don't you come stand right here? He's going to help me this morning. They don't want to see your back. They want to see your face. There we go. And I've got some life cereal this morning. And I've got some in the bowl right here. And so what Maxwell's going to show us this morning is um, sort of an example, an illustration of praying continually. He's going to take one cereal from this bowl and put it into that bowl. But I'm going to move this over here. And so you're going to have to walk over to it. <laughs> he needs exercise. <laughs> All right. Do you understand? Yes. It is not a race. Take your time and start. Go ahead. All right. While he does that, then I'm just going to explain what this all means a little bit. <laughs> the cereals that he's grabbing there one at a time represent prayer. This is one prayer. So every time the Maxwell is going back and forth, he's taking one prayer over and taking it to the Lord. This could be anything, really. It could be a prayer for someone that's sick or that's had an injury. It could be a prayer for someone that maybe needs a little help in school and is asking God to help them through their tests and exams that are coming. Maybe it's for someone who doesn't know Jesus, someone the Lord has put in your heart, for a few weeks, years, however long. It could also be a prayer of thankfulness and praise to God. But as you can see, as you watch Maxwell go back and forth, and what he's figuring out right now is that it takes time and effort. So after you've done this for a few minutes, you start feeling it. <laughs> Keep going, you're doing great. We read here that Nehemiah received an update and what he heard discouraged him. And I want to give you a little bit of context very quickly here to the situation. But a while back, before Nehemiah's time, um, many Jews were taken captive, you'll recall, to Babylon, like Daniel and his friends. 
And they were taken as captive for 70 years, after which some did return to Jerusalem, but not very many. It said about 2% of them went back. Jerusalem was in ruins and slowly being rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt, but not the walls of the city. And there were attempts that were made to rebuild the walls and and the gates, but every time, enemies would stop them. And so the city remained vulnerable, defenseless, and unable to move forward. So in verse 3, we read this, that the remnant, those who survive the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Nothing is improved. Nehemiah had hoped for a better report. But still, Jerusalem has now laid in ruins for 150 years and there's still no walls to protect the city. So clearly, this was not such a good update, was it? So much so that when Nehemiah heard it, he sat down, he wept, and prayed. He did this for days, most scholars suggest even for months. And he was deeply burdened and therefore consistent in praying to God, knowing only God could adjust the situation. He humbled himself before God and did so over and over again in prayer. And so just like what Maxwell is doing, Nehemiah took his prayers to God day after day. And it's a regular exercise that we need to cultivate to take those prayers, no matter how small they may seem, to take them to God in our everyday life. Even more, the Bible encourages us to pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that, right? Well, we don't expect you to have your hands folded, your eyes closed, your head bowed for 24-7. You wouldn't be able to do much. If Maxwell tried to do that right now, I think he'd be on the floor a few times. No, that's not prayer. That's ways that we position ourselves in prayer, but that's not prayer. Prayer is conversing with God and that we should always be in constant flowing communication with our Father which is, by the way, the most important relationship we will ever have. All right, should we keep him going? Yeah? Wow, you're making some friends here. That's okay, you can be done. Thank you so much. One more, last one. Go for it. That's just a simple illustration to help us understand how important it is for us to pray continually. And it's not always fun. Uh, but it is necessary. You know, the one thing I forgot to illustrate is this, is that, yeah, he's got some distance to walk back and forth. Well, the Bible tells us that as we draw closer to him, he draws closer to us. And so the distance certainly changes and it becomes much more easier, doesn't it? Today we're going to consider the following thought. I will approach God eagerly in prayer when I know who he is when I know who he is. The thing is, there are times when we are so eager to pray and talk with God. Maxwell is so eager to come up and help and realize, wait, there's work involved here. And there's times like that for us as well where we're so eager and other times when it feels like a chore. It feels like work. We have so many good reasons to pray to God and the first and best reason is that we get to connect with the only God. People can become so obsessed with their phones. Everyone here can have that struggle 
has had that struggle and may have it later on. Because those things can become so addictive. We become obsessed with staying in contact with our friends, staying in the loop of what's happening, and even just constantly refreshing the news and trying to stay in communication with people across the world. Stay in the know. Many of us should get rid of all those apps on our phones that keep us so connected and make talking with God a much more greater priority in our lives. It's a better fixation. Why we don't talk to God more often may come down to the fact that we may not know him or recognize him as he is. You know how sometimes you put some teenagers that don't know each other in one group in a room all alone? Every teenager in here right now is like, wow, that sounds like a nightmare. They don't know each other. You're putting them in the room together, and then you can even hear those crickets, you know, because it gets so awkwardly silent. You know, for those of us that have been teenagers, we've been there. It's uncomfortable. But some of us are still there with God. We've almost become shy with God because we've not cared to get acquainted with him further in our every day. And we've relinquished him to being just a Sunday friend only. Some of us, we struggle with prayer because as the forgetful beings that we are, we simply need to be reminded who he is. So having said that, let's jump back into our text. Back in Nehemiah chapter one, let's start reading at verse four again. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We'll read the next two verses. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. As he begins to pray, Nehemiah describes who he's talking to, who he's addressing as a manner of praise, but certainly as a matter of personal reflection and contemplation of who God is. We as believers must discover the essentiality of acknowledging God and his amazingness. He is, as we just read there, uh, as we just read here, great and awesome. And I love this description. Some might argue that it sounds too generic, that it's not precise enough on who God is, but I disagree. And I think Nehemiah does as well because he uses that even a couple more times in the book of Nehemiah. It's also found in other instances in the Old Testament, so what we see Nehemiah doing here really is praying through Scripture. And that's a good thing for us to do as well. It's showing us Nehemiah's heart before God, that he reveres and is in utter awe before the Lord, an awe which we may find is not often enough outwardly evident and inwardly present. We get so easily enamored with athletes and, and celebrities because of the few small, minuscule talents that they have. Yet, God is their maker. We become in such awe of them, but God made them. And he made us and all of mankind and, of all th and he made all things. 
Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? This is like Isaiah saying, don't you know this? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Don't you know this? We should be in awe of God. What a wonderful truth about our God is communicated in our text here in verse 5. That he bestows his marvelous love to those who love and obey him. And as we come to know Jesus and his love, we in return love him and have this innate desire to keep his commandments, to honor and glorify him because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. And yes, God is faithful. He is faithful in keeping his promises, therefore he is trustworthy. He is a God of unwavering love and of grace and mercy. That is the God we approach in prayer. That is the God we commune with, with whom we share our most intimate thoughts and feelings. It is God who we can trust and cry to in times of need and whom we can joyfully praise. To be in awe of God brings us to appreciate the magnitude and greatness of who he is. You know, we were taught some of these songs when we were younger. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Do you guys know this song? You've heard it before? Am I the only one that? Okay, all right. <laughs> I was hoping you'd kind of sing in with me, but that's okay. Or maybe you've heard this one. My God is an awesome God. He reigns. It is so true. To appreciate the magnitude and greatness of who he is will draw us to him. It draws us to love him and serve him. It draws us to desire to know him so much more and find ourselves in his presence continually. There's also a plea that we find Nehemiah doing, uh, making here to the Lord in verse 6. He says this, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. He's praying here that God would hear him in his request. And this is not because he thinks God can't hear him. We know that God sees and knows all things. And it's not like the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 who act, act like a, a crazy bunch of hooligans, even resulting in self-harm just in hopes that their false puny God would hear them. Now, Nehemiah pleads for God's attention to his prayer, showing the sincerity of his request and extent of his burden for God's people and for Jerusalem. And isn't it just comforting to know that we have a living God? A living God who takes great pleasure in listening, hearing, and answering our prayers. Psalm 6, 9, the Bible says, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. God hears our prayers. There's other instances where, in, like in Exodus chapter 3, for example, when God is recruiting Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt there at the burning bush, and he tells him this, he says, I have seen Israel's affliction, I heard their cry, and I know their suffering. 
This is a God who cares abundantly. This is who he is. Secondly, I will approach God eagerly in prayer when I know what he has done. Look back in our text, read uh, verses 6 through 10. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power, and by your strong hand. Nehemiah here confesses sin, his own and that of all Israel, in fact. He doesn't only point to what Israel has done as a nation, but admits his own guilt in this. He confesses to God, God, we rejected you. God, we turned from you. We went against you. We disobeyed you. There's no reason for him really not to confess it or to hide it because God knows their sin and realistically so does everyone else seeing the ruins that Jerusalem is in. Jerusalem is in ruins and most significantly the people are left in ruins because of their sin. There's an admission in verses seven and eight which we just read. You warned us, Lord. If we turned from you, you said you would have scattered us all around and that's just what happened. You kept your promise on that. You kept your word on the punishment we would receive and the consequences that would ensue. Now, thankfully, it didn't end there. Because Israel did fail. But Nehemiah also remembered what else God had promised. In verse 9, but if you return to me and keep my commandments... What Nehemiah here is saying is, Lord, you also promised that we've turned back to you and repented if we turned from our wickedness and placed our faith in you alone, you would bring restoration. What he's referring to is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 to 31. And what Nehemiah is expressing to the Lord is that they were rightfully punished for their sin, being made captive, scattered, but that thankfully God is a God of mercy and forgiveness. Folks, we also were held captive and slaves to our sin. We also needed his redemption, which was fulfilled through the Son of God, Jesus. We were condemned, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, Galatians tells us. And in Ephesians, so that by grace we can be saved through faith in Jesus alone. We were lost without hope in ruins, but he made a way for us. This is what he has done. And because of what he's done, we can then, as Romans 5.11 says, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
who he is and his nature, character, and attributes and what he has done is reason enough for us to pursue a stronger, more consistent prayer life. But there is more. The third thing this morning is this. I will approach God eagerly in prayer when I know who he is, what he has done, and why I still need him. If God has already made a way for salvation to come to all, why do we still need him? This is the kind of ludicrous nonsense that Christians like you and I come up with. Well, I know I owe him everything, but do I still want him part of my life? We battle these thoughts in our minds, but they're ridiculous, aren't they? Nehemiah understood that in order to accomplish what was put in his heart by God, he needed God, as we do all. Now this chapter ends in a bit of an awkward way. The last words that we read here in this first chapter of Nehemiah is, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Now I understand this, there weren't any verses or chapters in the books of the Bible when they were first written, So some might say that this should maybe be put in chapter two instead, but I don't quite agree with that. Now I was cupbearer to the king. How is this relevant? How does this show us, more importantly, that that, um, Nehemiah needed God's help and that we, in return, also need God's help? Well, here's what we can get from this. Nehemiah informs us of his position in in the palace of Artaxerxes. This last statement is made in recognition that God was the one that put him there. God was the one that put that burden on his heart to go, assess, and eventually rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so then he would need God to continue to lead him in the work he had called him to. And this is true for all of us. God has placed each one of us here to do what God has intended for us. Therefore, by simple logic alone, we need God. We need Jesus. We still need his loving grace, his kindness, and his mercy. We need him above all, and only him. We cannot ignore how Nehemiah closes this prayer. He pleads for God to intervene, pleads for God to grant him mercy so that we, uh, we see here is that he's communicating to God his complete dependence and submission on him. Look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man that he's referring to is King Artaxerxes. He was going to go and face him. I mean, wouldn't you be afraid to go and face a king? Let alone one who knows that Nehemiah's allegiance is not necessarily to him, but to the king? He's about to approach a very powerful man, make a request to get some time off from work, 
asked to go back home to Jerusalem, see what's happening, and then he will even ask this king to finance the rebuild of the walls. Why would Artaxerxes go for that? Why would he even listen to him, let alone give in to his request? Nehemiah's parting words about being a cupbearer are meant for us to consider what Nehemiah realized and understood. I am here because God placed me here. I can do this because God has given me this opportunity, and I will be successful because God is the one doing it. It's not me, and I will trust him all along the way. That is why Nehemiah needs God, and that's why we need God today, too. And that's why we need to pray. If we do not pursue God's intervening and helping hand, we are on our own unable. But with God, unstoppable. I want to close with this, just considering Ephesians chapter 6. What does Ephesians 6 urge us to do? To put on the... Let's try that again. To put on the the whole armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And then after all of that, Paul says this, praying at all times. Folks, we need God and we need to pray. Why is it that we don't pray more knowing these things? We need our church to be a praying church, a church determined that we will approach God in prayer eagerly because we know who he is, what he has done, and that we still need him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning considering our own prayer life. Lord, we know how 2023 has gone and we're just starting here 2024 and we want it to be started on the right foot. Lord, we pray that this would be a year that we can say our prayer life has grown. Place in us a desire to serve you and grow closer to you every day. Help us in this matter of prayer. We need you, and yet we don't come to you like we should or as often as we should. Help us to see that we need to be humble, Lord. There needs to be urgency in our hearts, Lord, to approach you and to seek you. Lord, I pray that even for the dear children that are in this room today. Lord, I pray for them that they would come to know you, to love you, to serve you, and they would learn to pray, to seek you when they need you and at all times. Remind us who we are looking to, Lord. You are the most holy God. Answer us, Lord, as we seek you for you are our only hope, our living hope. And Lord, I pray that you bless this time of communion that we're about to enjoy now as well. In Jesus' name, amen.